0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We are continuing our series today where we are talking about reorienting and renovating. If you need a Bible there in the back on my left, you can turn to page 1606. We're going to be in Luke 12, 13 through 34. And just a reminder what we're talking about in this series is when people come into contact with Jesus, um, they often are comforted, but only after they're disoriented. In other words, Jesus heals, Jesus loves, Jesus cares, but Jesus also people's, flips people's world upside down. And he does this through his actions, and he does this through his words, and he does this through his teachings. And so we're gonna continue that today as we talk about shadows and shade. But let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that you would be with your word this morning. We thank you that you are faithful to be here. You are so much more committed to us than we can imagine. And so we pray that you would shape our hearts and shape our lives and shape our actions. In your name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've ever been walking in the dark, Maybe you've been walking down the street at night and you pass an area where there's darkness and shadow and your imagination starts to run wild with what can be in that darkness, what can be in that shadow. Now, I don't care if you're a tough guy. I don't care if you're a grown man or woman. Shadows can be scary. If you've walked around at night and you look into darkness and you kind of can't see what's there, your mind begins to race, and you begin to imagine what could be there. Even sometimes I go in my backyard, and I'm like, I'm tough, I'm, I'm good, uh, but then it starts to get dark, and I'm like, well, I might just go inside. I'm, I'm going to be okay. Um, it reminds me of when one of our kids was little, uh, she discovered her shadow, and it terrified her. And uh, we, so we went through this stage where we kind of, we, we forgot to plan for this for every outing, but we would go on an outing and we'd be somewhere and it would just so happen that her shadow would become evident and she would flip out. One particular time, I took the kids into, um, into Home Depot, and if you know Home Depot, it's, the lights are much like in here, you know, they have these big lights and there's many of them. And so we, we go waltzing into Home Depot and we get down the aisle and then all of a sudden I turn around and my one kid is screaming because the way the lights were hitting, there were four shadows and she was trapped, right? There was a shadow in front, there was a shadow there, there was a shadow there and there was a shadow behind her and she just kind of backed up into the, into the, into the aisle because she couldn't get away from her shadows, um, you know, it's kind of funny, but shadows follow us and shadows trigger fear. And I want to look at shadows today as a little bit of a metaphor um, for our stuff, for our money, for the things that we are afraid of losing. Because a lot of times, um, shadows follow us around. You ever been followed by that shadow that asked the question, am I going to have enough money to pay my bills? Have you ever been followed by that shadow that says, how long am I going to have to stay in this job? I just want to get out of this job, and I, I'm just so afraid that if I don't stay in this job, which I don't like, and I get out, then blah, 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 blah. You ever been followed by that shadow? But what about this shadow? I think everyone is followed by this shadow, the shadow that says, when do I get to live the life I want to live? will I ever get to live that life that I want to live? Will I ever get to that place in my finances and my status and that stage of life? And, And so often those shadows kind of follow us around and they give us a lot of fear. They give us a lot of anxiety. A lot of times we're not even conscious that that's what's happening. But those shadows follow us around and trigger fear. And those shadows are all about money. And those shadows are all about quality of life or getting the experiences that we want, and they cause fear in us because when we think about them, when we're surrounded metaphorically by those shadows, we fear losing control. And we fear living in discomfort for a long period of time. And sometimes we just fear being perpetually stuck in a stage of life that we don't want to be stuck in. Today in our text, Jesus addresses those shadows that we have about our stuff in our life and our our wealth and the stage that we're in. In the story, someone comes to him in verse 13. Someone from the crowd says to Jesus, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me.'" Now, uh, anytime that there's an inheritance to be passed around a family, it usually causes a fight. That's just the way things work. But there's something unique about this particular situation. Uh, a guy comes to Jesus and and says I want half of the inheritance. And now probably that inheritance has to do with land. And that's a significant thing because you remember that they are in the promised land, the land that God has promised to his people. And so when when the man comes and asks Jesus, "Hey, make my brother split the inheritance with me." It's not a petty request. It's not an insignificant request. He knows that His quality of life depends on getting half of the inheritance. His his, uh, right to be part of the community of God's people has to do with getting the land that God promised his people. And not only that, probably there's some sense where his worth as a man has something to do with getting half of that inheritance. And now we might think this is an awesome opportunity for Jesus to judge rightly. Because Jesus is always fair, he's always just, and so Jesus is the perfect person for this guy to come to and say, hey, Jesus, help me split the land. Except Jesus doesn't do that at all. Jesus does something totally disorienting. In verse 14, he looks at the man and he says, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Well, Jesus... Come on, that's a little blunt. Uh, Don't you care about this guy's problem? I mean, what he's really asking is just for fairness in the inheritance. What he's really asking is just something practical. But where the guy sees a practical need, Jesus sees a shadow. Jesus sees that this guy is fearful of a shadow. And that shadow is the shadow of you always need more. Have you ever been followed by that shadow? You always need more. And in our culture, more is always good. More is always practical. We live our lives just trying to get more and more and more. And so what Jesus says is disorienting to us. In verse 15, he says this, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Jesus, wait wait a minute, I thought we were talking about this guy's right to his inheritance, and what you're saying is watch out and be on guard against greed? Uh, Yes, because hidden in that shadow of you always need more is greed. Hidden in the shadow of you always need more is greed. And Jesus tells his followers to watch out for greed, because greed is almost impossible to see in yourself. Greed is almost impossible to self-diagnose because it comes from our desires. Now, if you look at the 10 commandments, there's things that say, do not murder and do not lie. And like, you kind of know if you murder someone, you kind of know if you tell a lie. Uh, But greed has much more to do with the state of our heart. In Exodus 20, the 10th commandment, is not to covet or not to be greedy or not to have a heart that wants someone else's things. In Exodus 20, verse 17, it says, Do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, now this is why greed is so hard, uh, because our culture works around I mean, think about this, like Super Bowl advertisements or any advertisements work on the fact that they're trying to get you to want something that you don't have, and that's just normal. That's just the way our society works. And so greed is almost invisible to us because we just think it's, it's normal, but it's also like hidden in our culture. And what I mean by that is it's much easier to see greed in someone else or someone else's culture than it is in yourself or your culture. Greed is pervasive. There's not one person that doesn't struggle on some level with greed. You just can't see it. You can see it much more clearly in others and other people. In fact, you know, (laughs) I heard another pastor say this, and I was reflecting on it in the, you know, 15 or so years I've been a pastor I don't actually remember anyone coming to me and knocking on my door and saying, Pastor, I've got a real struggle I need your help with. I'm really struggling with greed. I don't think anybody has ever come to me and said that. I've had a lot of people come to me and say they're struggling with other things, but I don't remember one person coming to me and saying, I've got to confess some sin. I need some help. I struggle with greed. Because greed is that hidden. And so Jesus tells us we have to watch out for it because it's really hard to see. And Jesus also says, not only watch out, but be on guard. Be on guard against greed. Now, you and I are on guard for a great deal. When Amazon Prime comes out and there's some great deals or or Black Friday, we are on guard for some great deals. We are on guard to have a great experience. If there's an opportunity for us to live it up, we take advantage of that. We are on guard for an opportunity to get a raise. We are on guard for an opportunity to advance our position. We are even on guard for a great photo op. But how many of us can say we are on guard against greed in our own hearts? But that's exactly what Jesus says to do. Be on guard against All types of greed. It makes me reflect on my own prayer life. How how much of my prayer life is about asking God for more compared to what Jesus is saying? How much of my prayer life is asking God to help me not be greedy? God, give me more. God, help me to be on guard against greed. It's something for us to ask as Christians. Leon Morris says, That greed can never get enough, and worry is afraid it may never have enough. Greed can never get enough, and worry is afraid it may never have enough. See, I I wonder if some of the shadows of fear and anxiety that follow us around are really about some greed in our hearts. In verse 15, Jesus goes on to say, watch out and be on guard against all greed. And then he tells us why. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I heard a really funny story. Don't know if it's true, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, I heard a story about a guy who was nearing the end of his life, and he had a lot of money. And so he told his wife, listen, wife, when I die, and they put me in the casket, I want you to put all of the wealth in the casket with me, and then I want you to close the casket, and I want you to bury the casket, and I want to be buried with all my stuff, with all my possessions. And so the man died, and the funeral happened, and the wife walked up to the casket, and she put something in it, and then the casket closed, and was lowered, and Someone, a friend of both of theirs who knew about this request that the man had went, went over to the wife and said, um, did you put all his wealth in there? Did you honor his request? And she said, I did. I put all his wealth in the casket with him. I wrote him a check. <laughs> now, we laugh at that. At, at the same time, um, we kind of we go, oh, it's, it's foolish, right? It's foolish to think about that man taking his wealth, but we could ask maybe a deeper question of ourselves. That man thought his wealth gave his life value. And we can ask the question, what do you think gives your life value? Now, it could be money, but it also could be the number of stamps you get in your passport. Uh, It it could also be the fact that everyone thinks you're the most unique individual. It it could also be your sense of self-importance. See, so many of the decisions we make in life aren't just about wealth. They're they're about accumulating a reputation or accumulating uh, a way that people think about it. That's stuff as well. And Jesus says that one of the shadows we can fall into is that we always need more stuff. But then he tells us, your life is not the sum of your stuff. Your life is not the sum of your stuff. That's, That's the second shadow. Your life is not the sum of your stuff. Jesus says, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. As we said, possessions can be money. It can be cars. It can be things. It can be houses. But it can also be experiences. It can be likes on your social media. It can be the status that you have. And we're getting a little deeper because the world that we live in is really a world about creating your identity. And so often we use our wealth to try and create who we are. We take what we have and we try and build this image of who we are. You know, and it's interesting how this is playing out. I mean, you know, if you go out and you buy a new car and it's a really nice car, you might take a photo of yourself in front of that car, like, hey, everybody, I made it. You know, I got this car. But the funny thing is, is what a lot of people will do now is they'll go take a picture next to a really nice car and it's not even their car, you know? And I've done that. I'm like, well, what's going on there? Like, do we think that our life is the sum of our stuff? And maybe some of our stuff is the image that we project out to other people. Um, You know, I even think about this past year when January 1st hit, I made a little like highlight video to put on Instagram of like my year, and I had some great stuff happen in 2022, so it was really fun to put together, and there was part of me that as I I put that together, and I put some cool music about, you know, behind it, and put it out on Instagram, there's part of me that's like, Lord, thank you for all the amazing friendships I had, and for all these images of people that I got to spend time with, and thank you for the opportunities you provided for me, Um, but there's also something in there that I recognized in my own heart that thought, you know. I am the sum of all these photos. I I am, this says about something about who I am, about my worth as a human being. And I recognize it in my heart because in, in there, there's something that relates to greed as well. There's this deception, there's this shadow that follows us around that says your life is the sum of your stuff, whether your stuff is your wealth or your cars or the photos you take of yourself or the reputation you have. That's a shadow that follows us around. Jesus is digging deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not just about having a full bank account. It's really about what we treasure in life. It's about what we treasure in life. And that's the third shadow that Jesus addresses. Shadow number three that follows us around is that your treasure secures your life. You've got to get what you really want in order to have the life you really want. Want to have. In verse 16, Jesus tells a story. He tells a parable, and he says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Now, a couple obvious things here. It's not bad that in this story, this guy has stuff. But you notice as he talks about his stuff, he makes no mention of God. It's not about the God who has given him the stuff. It's not about using the stuff that God gave him to help other people. It's about him. So that in the very last line, his last line is enjoy yourself. It's all about him. But then Jesus ends the story by saying, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This man had so much by the world's standards, but was spiritually impoverished. He was poor before God. He had spent his life pursuing the things that he thought were worthwhile, but pursuing those things he thought were worthwhile blinded him to what was really worthwhile. And in the story, death becomes the great equalizer. Jim Morrison, the famous rock singer from The Doors, said about life, no one here gets out alive. And while that's kind of dark, there's a truth to that that nothing in this life can we carry into the next life. In fact, you and I are not even guaranteed to make it to the end of today. Death is a great equalizer. And really, that, that's kind of the ultimate shadow, isn't it? That's kind of the ultimate shadow is that we really wanna live the life, we wanna live, and yet we're not even guaranteed the rest of today. Now, here's the thing. We've been very honest, Jesus has been very honest with us about the shadows that follow us around. But now he's going to switch. And rather than talking about the shadows that give us anxiety and fear, he's going to talk about shade. And shade, although it provi- it's a darkness like a shadow, shade provides comfort. Shade provides rest. Shade shields you from the harsh realities of the sun. And as we switch into this next part of the text, I want you to have the image of shade in your mind. Because Jesus starts off by saying in verse 22, then he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Jesus invites us to consider God's Shade, his comfort, his care, the way that he covers over us and looks out for us. Shade number one is to consider God's care. In verse 24, Jesus says this, "'Consider the ravens. "'They don't sow or reap. "'They don't have a storeroom or a barn, "'yet God feeds them. "'Aren't you worth much more than birds?' And then if you skip down to verse 27, it says, consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Jesus is teaching uh, from the example of least to greater So he's talking about a raven which is a bird but it's also an insignificant bird and yet God provides for the raven. The raven has food to eat. Then he talks about flowers and blades of grass and God provides rain and sunshine so that they can grow because they're part of his creation and God is created is committed to his creation. But you, You're not just any part of God's creation. You are human beings made in the image of God. And therefore, you are the most important part of creation. God values your humanity. And so God provides for us. Part, part of this is, is the Christian doctrine of what we call common grace. And that is whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, God has set the world in motion so that it works in such a way so that seasons come and seasons go. Crops grow and crops are harvested and people eat. God keeps the universe moving forward so that it takes care of us as human beings. And what we're we're faced here with is is that God sees us and he sees our need. If he knows all of the ravens, if he knows all the wildflowers, then he knows you by name. And so in the midst of all the shadows, have you considered the shade of God's care? In verse 29, Jesus says, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your father, your father knows that you need them. The way many religions worked back then was that someone would try and appease the gods. They would offer sacrifices so that the gods would bless their crops. They would would try to prove their significance before God before a God. And what Jesus is saying here is that's not the way the God of the Bible works. Rather, the God of the Bible sees us and cares for us. So it's not just if you trust God, then God will provide for you. Rather, the way Christianity works is God will provide for you, therefore you trust him. So if you're not yet a Christian, Christianity is not about appeasing God to get on his good side. Rather, Christianity is about trusting God because he is good. Have you considered God's care of creation? God's care of you as a human being? That's shade number one. Shade number two is to question your control. In verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? So with that, just for a moment. Can you add one moment to your lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? You know, so often we 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 open up our calendars and we look at everything that we have planned, and yet we're just one moment from those plans going totally sideways. We think our our plans are in the palm of our hand, but they're really not. We we really have very little control over our lives. In fact, control is actually an illusion. It's an illusion. We have no idea what's going to happen the rest of the day. I know some of you this week got flat tires, and some of you had battles with cancer, and some of you are having financial issues, and, and none of those were planned, right? Those were all out of your control. And yet Jesus is saying that part of the shade is actually to question your control. In other words, it's not supposed to create anxiety that we question whether we're in control. It's supposed to bring us into a place of rest because we're not in control, but God is in control. And we begin to rest in God as king. And when we rest in God as king, we begin to treasure him and treasure his kingdom. And that's the last point Jesus wants to make is is to rest in God and to treasure his kingdom. In verse 31, Jesus says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights. Your father delights to give you the kingdom. Now, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and when he comes at the beginning of his ministry, he announces that the kingdom of heaven has now invaded earth, that the government of heaven is now active among the world and its people, and that the values of heaven are now coming and infiltrating the world through the followers of Jesus. And while all the other human beings in the world operate off of self-protection, and self-seeking, those who live in the kingdom of God operate under the principle of self-giving, giving giving themselves away. Because in the kingdom of God, it is a kingdom where enemies are not punished, but rather they are forgiven. It is a kingdom where a stranger is not shunned, but rather welcomed. It is a kingdom where the outcast isn't ostracized, but rather accepted as family. It's a kingdom where the poor aren't, aren't, pushed to the side and said, we don't care about you, but rather the poor are cared for and given attention. It's a place where prisoners become a priority and where orphans and widows are loved and taken care of. That's what happens when God is king. And that kingdom stands in opposition to our little kingdoms, the the kingdoms that makes us anxious and greedy, but God delights in giving us his kingdom. And that brings us to a place of looking at it and asking ourselves, is it a true treasure for us? In, in verse 33, Jesus nudges us a little bit and he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. An inexhaustible treasure, treasure, In heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Just got a little hot in here when Jesus said, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus, I mean, don't get crazy. We understand that God is king, but I mean, we don't really want to start giving our stuff away. But that's exactly what Jesus is pushing us towards. Now, it's not wrong to have possessions. The early church had possessions, and yet they were radically generous with them. They gave their time, they gave their money, they gave their energy to other people. And I think as Christians, sometimes we can fall into the trap of going, well, God doesn't really want us to be radically generous with our stuff. He just wants to know we'd be willing to be radically generous, and I'm willing. But then we don't ever do anything. (laughs) I mean, think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, "Um, God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. His heart's desire was that he was willing to go to the cross, but it wasn't really what he wanted to do. And God still led him to the cross. It wasn't just about willingness. It was actually about doing something. And so I think for us, we need to to start looking at our stuff. And rather than looking at our stuff and ignoring God, we need to look at our stuff in light of God. How does God want us to use our homes for his kingdom? How does God want us to use our cars for his kingdom? How does God want us to use our tax returns for his kingdom? Now, this it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to start thinking about the ways that God might be calling me and you to give radically away. But here's the interesting thing when you start giving stuff away, it's actually a cure for the anxiety of the shadows. You're worried about all that money in your bank account? Give some of it away you're worried and you're so focused on that amazing car you have, give it away, sell it, use the money for something else. E- either Jesus is just given us an illustration or he's serious. But, but as we begin to pray in light of this, what could we say instead of saying, God, I want your blessings to come to me. Instead, might we pray, God, I want your blessings to come through me. What you give me, I'll give away. What you give me, I'll use for your kingdom. What you put in my hands, I'll use for the benefit of others. And and we're so uh, scared of what that might mean, we, we actually miss it. That's the cure for the anxiety. You're so fixated on something and worried about it, give it away. When we live that way, we're beginning to understand the treasure of God's kingdom because Because what if this church, what if we all operated like that? Would anyone ever be in need? I don't think so. I think it would be one of the most beautiful things we've ever seen if we all just committed to take care of one another and treat our stuff as if it's for the good of someone else. Because really, that's what Jesus did with his own life. See, God isn't calling us to do anything that Jesus already hasn't done for us. Jesus was the king of kings, the one who had thousands and thousands of angels praising him, the one who sat on a throne in in heaven, and yet came to earth and gave it all away and gave his life away. He became poor so that we might become rich. He went to the cross and was shunned by God so that we could know God. So that we don't have to be the man in the story, in that metaphor who says, uh, I'm going to spend all my life building stuff and be impoverished towards God. We have a relationship with God because Jesus was radically generous towards us. And when we begin to look at that first, it, it actually opens up our heart to giving ourselves away. To giving our stuff away. Jesus ends the story, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I, I don't know how God's calling you to respond to the story. I don't know if you need to look at like your bank account. I don't know if you need to look at your possessions or your stuff, I, I, I don't know. But I do know this, the place to start that conversation is by treasuring Jesus even more. It's by looking at what he's done for you and letting your heart well up with love and affection for him. Because when you start there, everything else seems secondary. I'll close with a story I remember from being a young man. I must have been 22 years old and I was in a church and one of the older men in the church was a very successful businessman. He was making a lot of money. And I sat down with him in a small group. I'd never met him before, although he would become a friend later on. And um, and we said, how can we pray for each other? And I'll never forget how he asked me to pray for him. And he said something like this: In my business, things are going very well. Please pray that Jesus will be my only treasure. And that stuck with me for decades. Because I think that's what Jesus is calling us to hear. That Jesus, the one who lived and died for you, would be your only treasure. And that because of that, you would give yourself away to him and to others. Amen? Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.